Hi friends, this is Claire speaking, coming to you from Cafeteria Talk Podcast. Um, I hope you're all doing well. How are you? Good? Good? Yeah, okay, great to hear. Awesome. Okay, for for all our Chinese friends out there, I hope you had a wonderful autumn festival last weekend. I hope you had lots of mooncakes. And yeah, like why, why don't we just get into this? Okay, great. So you've probably seen the title of this already. But for those of you who don't know, I'm a huge history buff. And I spent a year doing research on the Chinese Exclusion Act, which was actually America's first immigration ban on Chinese people. Um, and so I think it's so important for us as Asian Americans to to know about the history of our people in this country and what that means for us today, because I think it does have a lot of tremendous effects. Um, so if you care to listen, hear me rant about white people today. Um, this will be a good time. Why don't we just get right into it cool hopefully you'll learn a little something today okay so what is the history of chinese people in america well it starts in the 1850s in which china was going through a bit of a shitty time it was it wasn't people weren't vibing over there so like in the mid-19th century china was plagued by all these things like famine um, political turmoil and foreign wars under the 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 Qing dynasty, um, which was heavily declining for several reasons, um, partially due to to China's loss to Britain in the Opium Wars, um, in which Britain like got like the country hooked on opium, right? Like over ten percent of the pop- population became addicted. Um, people were starving. Um, there are like primary sources of people eating bricks, like pounding a brick to bits and eating it. Um, you know, like husbands of the household selling everything that they owned. It was just a, a very devastating time in Chinese history. So things aren't looking too great over there in China. So then following the 1848 discovery of gold in California, the U.S. became essentially the land of opportunity for immigrants. Um, and the gold rush that ensued sort of epitomized the American dream. Um, so, you know, given that things aren't looking so hot in China, a lot of people were inspired by prospects of economic success um, in America, and they were very eager to leave their troubled environment behind. So in the 1850s, the Chinese, of all people, immigrated in large num- in very large numbers to the West Coast. Um, and so oh, I, I so wish I could show you like these posters and flyers um, from the 1850s of like saying they're like, tourist posters almost that are like come to california like we have gold um the land of promise and low-key it's a a false promise there there wasn't actually that much gold and it ran out pretty quickly but regardless it caused this huge influx in asian immigration um in the 1850s um i'd say like hundreds of thousands of people came and so next the chinese are here they're digging for gold right in california um, and while some Chinese came to make a fortune and then just go home, others sought more like lucrative long-term futures in America, and so they stayed. And in doing so, they established a super vibrant culture on the West Coast, the first Chinatowns um, that were actually created in response to discrimination so that uh, Chinese people could band together for protection. Um, and for, for, those of, for those who stayed, 
they actually became instrumental builders of the Transcontinental Railroad, the first railroad that essentially connected the country um, all the way from California to Iowa. And there are these amazing primary sources from politicians at the time who say that the Chinese are the backbone of the infrastructure that built this nation. And if the Transcontinental Railroad is ever built, it will be the work of giants. Isn't that, isn't that dope? Look at us. Look, I mean, look at us. Look at us builders of this nation and everything that's right that is right um and so then because of this this relationship between america and china um in 1868 the burlingham treaty is is formed which encouraged open immigration between china and america so like people could just freely go between china and america and it was named after representative burlingham the uh u.s ambassador to china so that is, so like, th- we're vibing so far, like, relationship is good, yeah, everything is good, you know, despite the opium wars, um, but but we'll get back to that about how white people seem to ruin everything, because it <laughs> tends to be a, a trend in this topic. So by 1882, there were over 300,000 Chinese in the United States, um, but their growing presence would lead to one of the most controversial pieces of legislation in this nation's history. I think you can guess what that is. And one, one Chinese immigrant wrote, uh, for the Chinese journeying across the Pacific, the greatest threat would not come from the harshness of nature, but from the cruelty of fellow humans and the racism endemic to their beloved gold mountain. Sad. The, the, the story gets sadder and sadder um, as I go, but I, I think it's important to know. Okay, so next we, we start to see a little bit of conflict. Naturally, because of people's fears of economic and cultural competition, the Chinese immigrants suffered from discrimination in both custom and law. So we're talking like de jour and de facto discrimination. Um, the first form of conflict, mostly economic conflict. So economic conflicts involving competition for employment opportunities fueled resentment between Chinese and white laborers. So, like, as, as gold gets more and more scarce, the presence of Chinese laborers caused tension, right? The white people were like, yo, what the hell are they doing here? Um, so, in 1850, the California legislature enacts the Foreign Miners Tax, which levied a monthly $20 tax on each foreign miner and deliberately targeted the Chinese. Um, and this was widely considered by historians to be the opening act in a campaign by white Americans to restrict the entry of Chinese laborers into California to compete with them for jobs and wages. Um, and that essentially caused many Chinese to stop prospecting for gold. They were like, I, this, this is, yeah, not it. Um, so after the gold rush is over and the, the railroad is completed in 1869, the unemployment rate skyrockets. Um, and in response, Chinese laborers became willing to work in terrible conditions for longer wages and, I mean, sorry, longer hours and lower wages, right? So, so there's this, this big recession and this made Chinese laborers more desirable to hire and allowed them to find jobs in agriculture, mining, and especially laundry. Um, and, and by 1870, Chinese immigrants are 25% of the California workforce. Um, so, so they're really getting their foot in the door there. Good for them. Good for them. Yeah. Okay. Um, however, faced by like this sudden wave of joblessness, White laborers are, like, salty. They, they feared that Chinese immigrants were stealing jobs and lowering the standard of living for the entire working class. Um, and, and there's this great quote by Iris Chang, a historian. She says, 
Racism is always there underneath, but usually it is exploited in these times of economic crisis. So essentially, the Chinese were scapegoated um, for this economic recession that was a result of something else. It wasn't like the Chinese taking jobs. Um, But here's a, a quote from a Chinese immigrant. He says, We were accused of unfair competition in business, of lowering wages with cheap labor, of being racially inferior. Um, but this could not be more true. We were hard workers and we meant no harm. Um, and so, so naturally, people are pissed. Uh, white people are pissed. So various groups um, went to the media to encourage the idea that Chinese immigrants threatened the economy. Um, the most prominent of these groups was the Working Men's Party of California, which was like a labor-based political union um, that became super famous for its very anti-Chinese agenda. Um, I wish I could show you these pictures. There are so many amazing primary sources. And I say amazing in a a very, like, bad way um, of of the propaganda. I want to say propaganda. Um, The the offensive racial caricatures that they made of Chinese people back in the 1880s. Like, this is real stuff in this country that was published. Um, The most famous of which is, like, the Chinese must go. It shows Uncle Sam, like kicking this chinese dude like out of the country literally like he's got like his foot on his ass and everything and um the chinese are portrayed with like slanted eyes and like the the long like stereotypical braid it's highly highly offensive stuff but it's it's fascinating because this is truly the way they first treated us when they came to america um which is sad and so the leader of the working men's party dennis kearney this bitch um Quote, the father of a family is met by Chinese workers at every turn. Would he get work for himself? Hell no. A stout Chinaman does it cheaper. Will he get a place for his oldest boy? He cannot. His girl? Why, the Chinaman is in her place too. Every door is closed. He can only go to crime or suicide, his wife and daughter to prostitution, and his boys to hoodlumism and the penitentiary. Um, so it's that, that kind of fear-mongering rhetoric um, from both politicians like Kearney and also lots of businesses. Um, in their advertisements that promoted anti-Chinese messages to appeal to the public uh, sentiment against the Chinese and create a very nativist feeling against immigrant labor. Um, And I I would love to show you these posters because they're terribly offensive. Um, There's even a, a presidential campaign poster in which both presidential candidates Garfield and Hancock um, agree that like on the stance that they don't like Chinese immigrants. So it, it shows a picture of both of them like hammering a, a Chinese immigrant into like this weird like stilt looking torture device thing, um, which is sad because it's like this is the thing that people found common ground on, like hating the Chinese. Okay, uh, I see you. I see you, America. Disappointed, but not surprised. Um, and so basically this resulting sentiment against immigrant labor starts all these violent boycotts and protests and riots. Um, they, they start boycotting Chinese businesses. There are protests. Um, this one group called the Knights of Labor says, every Chinaman doing this work takes bread from the mouths of our women. Our motto should be our country or people and our native land. Which sounds a bit familiar, Like, uh, but we've heard of that today, right? Um, and then in 1885, there's a Rock Springs massacre in Wyoming in which... Uh, the Chinese and white miners had like a dispute over something about working in the mine. And so that evening, the white miners armed with rifles 
rioted and burned down the Chinese quarter. They were viciously murdered. Their bodies were like thrown into the lake. Yet no whites were prosecuted for the murder of 28 Chinese and $150,000 in property damage. Think about that. That's that's horrendous. And the judge who, who presided over this case, his name was literally Judge Roy Bean. Like, we're, your name is literally Roy Bean. Like, soybean sounds an ass. And he, he says, Gentlemen, I find the, vault, the law very explicit on murdering your fellow man, but there's nothing in here about killing a Chinaman. Case dismissed. In which he essentially applies that um, the Chinese are not humans. They're not people. Nice of you, Roy Bean. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, very, very sad. So next, um, to, to fuel that fire started by the economic conflict, many Americans did not tolerate the very striking cultural differences of the Chinese, and they, they thought that the immigrate, immigrants couldn't assimilate. So this essentially creates a sense of nativism and racial superiority that fueled more conflict about the presence of the Chinese. Um, the first of which came in the form of offensive and really exaggerated stereotypes that alienated them from the American public. Um, for example, many whites began to perceive the Chinese as criminals, um, partly because of a rise in like Chinese prostitutes and cheap labor and opium. They, they were basically seen as backwards and dirty and reckless. Um, and there are quotes from senators who like compare the Chinese to European immigrants and explaining why they're like an inferior race of men, right? Um, so these laws, I mean, these beliefs result in the 1875 Page Law rep written by Representative Horace Page in the House, um, which forbade undesirable immigration from Asia for lewd and immoral purposes. Um, so basically, the definition of undesirables targeted these stereotypes and included any individual from Asia that was like a forced laborer, prostitute, or convict. And Rep. Page literally says, we must end the danger of immoral Chinese women. Because obviously, Chinese women are like really, really uh, <laughs> screwing things up. These people are no fun. Clearly, they, they basically stereotyped all Chinese women as prostitutes. Great. Um, and there's actually a picture of this this Chinese immigrant. Her name was Nale, um, who was accused of prostitution and essentially placed under threat of deportation, uh, which is nice. Um, there are also ads from like a, a, a like a exterminating some sort of like rat extermination company that shows a China man eating a rat, and it says this pesticide ad um, capitalized on the stereotype that the Chinese ate rats. So. Great. This is this is the country we live in, guys. Isn't that isn't that something? Um so so following this, new legislation was passed to harass Chinese customs and sort of hinder immigrants' everyday lives in super petty ways. Um for example, the pigtail ordinance forced San Francisco prisoners to have their hair cut within an inch of the scalp. Um and this was purposely made to outlaw the wearing of long braids by men, which was a Chinese style. Um, and there are lots of disgusting um, political cartoons sh showing, like, Columbia and, or, like, Lady Liberty, like, snipping off the braid of the Chinaman, um, which is very disrespectful. Um, one immigrant writes that the loss of one's braid was considered a mark of disgrace and indicated suffering after death. So clearly this was a cultural thing, but America has <laughs> no room for that. 
Um, so they do more petty things like the sidewalk ordinance, which banned the Chinese method of carrying goods on a pole, uh, while the laundry ordinance made it illegal to operate a laundry service without a permit, um, which was made specifically to target Chinese in that two-thirds of laundries were owned by Chinese immigrants. Um, and so after requiring that all laundries obtain licenses, San Francisco refused to issue them to the Chinese on the basis of race. Um, gross, right? Don't worry. Eventually, uh, Yik Wo, who's a Chinese laundry man, sues against this. He's like, nah, F this. In uh, a famous case called Yik Wo versus Hopkins, in which the Supreme Court established that laws could not be enforced in a discriminatory manner. Big uh, middle finger to San Francisco right there. Um, so yeah, and people, the Chinese are, are pissed about this. They start to speak up about it. They voice opposition to discrimination. Um, and some cartoonists like the famous cartoonist Thomas Nast also speak out against this. He, he has this famous cartoon in which a native American is speaking to the Chinaman and the native American says, pale face is afraid you crowd him out as he did me, which is fair, right? Because people of color, <laughs> <laughs> are not treated so hot in this country okay so we have all this conflict and tension between uh, chinese immigrants and you know their white counterparts um so this leads to exclusion there's a great quote by erica lee in one of her books in which she says chinese exclusion was the hinge on which the golden gate of immigration and american opportunities began to swing closed so here we reach sort of the peak of our conflict right Decades of discrimination against immigrants culminated in the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. The act itself was made by the government to sort of appease the widespread anti-Chinese sentiment among the people. It was pandering to public prejudices, um, scapegoating the Chinese for, you know, like pandering purposes, um, you know, do something drastic to combat the riots in the poor economy. Um... And so, you know, naturally, like, all these white assholes are, like, celebrating and shit. There's posters saying, like, hurrah, hurrah, like, Chinese exclusion, like, let's all party tonight. Like, yeah, we just <laughs> violated some people's human rights. Like, let's do this. And so, actually, you know, we, we see all these things today, like, the, the Muslim ban, which was a big thing a few years ago. Um, You know, building the wall, right? Banning immigration from Mexico. But very few people know that the country's first immigration ban was against the Chinese. Um, and it was made solely on the basis of race, which is, <laughs> I mean, that's America for you, right? Um, so it was passed by Congress, signed by President Chester A. Arthur. This law barred Chinese laborers from entering the United States and prevented all Chinese immigrants from being naturalized as citizens for 10 years. Think about that. That, that means that, like, you're essentially like banning Chinese people from coming here. It was the first law to ever ban a group from the U.S. on the basis of race. Um, and it was met by um, approval by a majority of Americans. Passed the Senate on a two-to-one majority. Um, yeah, it's sick. It's, it's sick. It's very sad. Um, and so this act had bigger implications than you might think. Um, the Chinese community was forced to make various compromises in their lifestyles um, in order to adjust under the harsh legislation of, you know, the Chinese Exclusion Act and also the discrimination it basically justified. 
So under the Chinese Exclusion Act, incoming immigrants were processed at Angel Island Immigration Station in San Francisco Bay. Think of it as like the Western Ellis Island. Um, Basically, the law only says that laborers can't come. So it makes it really hard for Chinese people to come over to prove that they aren't laborers. Um, So at Angel Island, the Chinese were interrogated, detained about like precise information regarding their exempt status from the Exclusion Act and their personal life. Um, they could be detained for years before being granted or simply denied entry to America. They could literally be sitting in jail for years um, and they'd just be like, psych, you thought, go back, go back to China. Um, and there are these amazing quotes from, from Chinese immigrants who went to Angel Island and they said, you know, we spent a year practicing for the in- interrogation before we left. We studied for hours each day on the ship and at Angel Island. My father had written a book of questions There were diagrams of her village. It even had a drawing of my uncle's hand and descriptions of his moles and marks. The questions were tough. Not just how many people were in my family, but where do they sleep? What picture is hanging on which room of the house? Um, And like these these interrogations were often super subjective. Um, And in terms of living at Angel Island, one immigrant says, we could eat some rough rice, which is super hard to swallow. I was a growing boy and hungry. The main reason I was detained so long was that my father and I gave the inspectors different dates about when I departed China. Two men killed themselves. They were probably about to be deported. Sometimes I wanted to go home because they treated us like criminals. We were only immigrants. Um, and so immigrants found it increasingly hard to prove that they were not laborers. Like I'd say roughly 30% were sent back to China. And so very few Chinese could come in under the Chinese Exclusion Act. Um, but, you know, us being like little sneaky sneaks, uh, immigrants had to find ways around these restrictions. So a lot of them used fraudulent documents with false names to pose as the children of like the quote unquote children of American born Chinese to to sort of help them sneak in. And so these people were called the, the paper sons and they sort of lied their way into entry. Kind of badass. Um, So in the years following the Chinese Exclusion Act's passing, several revisions were made to it to prolong its influence, uh, which sucks for the Chinese. Uh, The Scott Act of 1888 was added to prevent Chinese from returning to the U.S. after leaving the country to visit family in China. And since exclusion laws only permitted the wives and children of native-born citizens to join their husbands in America, um, many families were permanently split. So, like, under the Scott Act, Chinese men in the U.S. had little chance of really ever returning to China or reuniting with their wives, um, which means they couldn't start families in America, right? You know, you're never seeing your wives again. So because of the severe restrictions of female immigrants um, made by the Page Act, you know, back when they thought that all Chinese women were prostitutes, right? The, the pattern of young men migrating alone became very common. So it was, like, men coming to America on their own and the ratio of chinese american males to females became 15 to 1 and essentially a bachelor society emerged in which you know there were tons of single chinese men in america and they were essentially forced to die completely alone in this foreign country without being able to see their families again it's sick it's absolutely sick there's an immigrant who says you know the sight of a child in chinatown was remarkable at that time because people weren't having kids it's almost as if they were like trying to weed 
the Chinese out of the country. It's sad. And there's this photograph I so wish I could show you. Um, it has It's like a family photograph, but they've pasted faces onto bodies of the family members that they, they can't see again because they're, they're stuck in America and can't leave because of the Chinese Exclusion Act. Um, and so when the Exclusion Act expired in 1892, Congress extended it for 10 years in the form of the Geary Act, which required every Chinese citizen, uh, or not citizen because the Exclusion Act made them not citizens, it required every Chinese resident to carry a certificate of residence and was made permanent in 1902. So think about this. They're forcing Chinese people to carry a, basically like this government-issued ID that they're Chinese at all times. Um, and this, this guy named Don Lee says, I had been here legally since 1904, but I had to keep a certificate of residence with me on all times for over 40 years or face deportation. Think of that. That's like, I, I don't want to make like outrageous comparisons, but it's almost comparable to like, you know, having the, the choose where the gold star is like, it's, it's, uh, it's very dehumanizing and and they would have lots of spontaneous police searches for resident certificates that would force the chinese to comply with the geary act um so there's this headline from the boston herald in 1903 in which it says over 300 chinaman arrest chinamen arrested in a big roundup by the police um while searching for resident certificates it's deliberately targeting the chinese um so in response to persecution the chinese congregated together in chinatowns um, and often could not live or work outside of them. And these, you know, quote-unquote safe havens have never really disappeared. We still have Chinatowns to these days. And, you know, they're great cultural centers, but they were erected and they were formed out of discrimination. They they have a sad history, but it's pretty amazing to see what people have been able to make out of it. Um, so arguably, like, this, the state-sponsored discrimination and denial of civil rights, the Chinese immigrants compromised fundamental values that America had been founded upon. Um, very ironically, I find, they actually installed the Statue of Liberty, which is, like, the ultimate sign of liberty and immigration and America being a melting pot. They erected that in 1886, which was only four years after they passed the Chinese Exclusion Act. Um, and so naturally, some people expressed discontent with the united states's hypocrisy there's this poem called the new colossus that's um embossed on the base of the statue of liberty and it says give me your tired your poor your huddled masses yearning to breathe free the wretched refuse of your teeming shore send these the homeless tempest tossed to me i lift my lamp beside the golden door yet th there's this cartoon of the golden door the golden gate of liberty um, but it's closed to the Chinaman, and the caption is the only one barred out. It's it's very hypocritical, um, especially for hypocritical Americans who forgot their own immigrant history. Very surprisingly enough, one of the main um, out, outspoken groups against Chinese immigrants were the Irish, who also immigrated to America in the 1800s. Um, which shows this sort of competition for insider status among immigrants um, and a lot of resentment, which is, is very ironic and hypocritical, considering that they too faced a lot of discrimination coming in, the Irish. Um, it, it's very interesting to me. Um, one immigrant named Norman Azing, he writes, 
I am a Chinaman, a Republican, and a lover of free institutions. I am very much attached to the principles of the United States. You argue that the Constitution admits of no asylum to any other than the pale face. This proposition is false to the extreme, and you know it. The declaration of your independence and the acts of your government, your people, and your history are all against you. Um, so definitely a lot of hypocrisy here. And this is my like favorite part. In resistance, the Chinese-American community used the American court system and the protection of the Constitution to challenge exclusion laws, and they filed over 10,000 lawsuits against legislation that had compromised their justice. Think about that. That's pretty badass. They took the words that these like crusty old white people wrote themselves in the Constitution and essentially used them to fight off the discrimination that these white people had tried to impose upon them. It's kind of like the ultimate like F you. Pretty badass. I love it. Um, and so a really famous case is Wong Kim Ark, who was a California cook um, who was born in California, but was denied reentry to America after visiting his parents in China. Um, so Wong essentially sues the government under the 14th Amendment. Um, in, in, in 1898, the Supreme Court said that those born on American soil, regardless of race, are constitutionally protected citizens, um, which really called out the the hypocrisy of the Chinese Exclusion Act and how unconstitutional it was. Um, because remember, the Exclusion Act made it so that Chinese people could not be citizens. Um, and in doing so, they strip away what is fundamental in a democracy, like the right to vote, um, the right to citizenship. Um, you know, the, the fact that a person born in America is American. Um, so definitely uh, <laughs> calling out all those uh, plot holes in their logic. Um, and so the struggles of the Chinese against these exclusion laws essentially laid down the foundations of civil rights law. And think about the implications that has, you know, several decades later in the civil rights movement. It's tremendous. It's amazing. And I'll get to that very soon um, on the, the long-term impact of the Chinese Exclusion Act. Um, okay, so let's let's recap real quick. The Chinese Exclusion Act was the first law in U.S. history to exclude a group of people from immigration on no basis other than race. It set this precedent for anti-immigration laws that we still see today and using national interests to justify racism. Think about that. Think of how often we've seen that in American history, the whole America first spiel. Um, the Chinese Exclusion Act fostered hostility towards foreigners that would endure for generations and the only reason the Chinese Exclusion Act was repealed by the Magnuson Act in 1943, um, 60, 61 years later, um, which only allowed 105 Chinese immigrants per year. Like, oh, yeah, okay. And what, what pisses me off the most about this was that it wasn't even repealed because America stopped like being racist or whatever. Um, they only repealed it during World War II um, because the United States need to, needed to maintain this critical military alliance with China, right, against Japan. So U.S. enemies were pointing to the Chinese Exclusion Act as proof that the U.S. was anti-Chinese. And so the U.S. was like, oh, shit, we can't look like that. It's bad for our, our PR. It's bad for our image. Um, and so they had to erase that perception by, like, half-assedly, like, repealing the Chinese Exclusion Act. Uh, basically out of their own self-interest and not for the interests of the Chinese or, like, justice or anything like that um in 1924 they actually passed the notorious immigration act 
1924, which limits immigration and establishes quotas based on nationality. Um, basically race quotas, which is very unconstitutional, uh, signed by Calvin Coolidge. Um, and we see the same trend of using national interests to justify racism in 1942 when Japanese internment is justified by the government for national security. So think about this. Just because they repealed the Chinese Exclusion Act in 1943 doesn't mean that America stopped being racist. They simply repealed it for their own self-interest and then just started being racist towards a different group of Asians. Like, it's cool. <laughs> I guess we have to be friends with the Chinese now, right? Uh, therefore, screw the Japanese. Am I right? Yeah, it's pretty messed up. Um, but the, the first waves of change we see happen in 1965, during which the Immigration Act of 1965 um, allows for large-scale Chinese immigration again. And I'm sure you've heard of that. And I'm sure many of our parents came here after the, the big influx, after the 60s, the big immigration boom. Uh, that was signed by President uh, Johnson. And I find it really symbolic that where he signed the Immigration Act of 1965 was right next to the Statue of Liberty. I think that's that shows like a, a full 180 um, <laughs> after um, all that hypocrisy and, you know, the poem on the base of the Statue of Liberty. I think it's it shows American progress. It's very symbolic. Um, and so, you know, the, the Immigration Act of 1965 essentially reunited hundreds of families, like 100,000 in the first two months, resident aliens were naturalized as American citizens in the attorney general's report to the White House. And I think that's awesome. Um, so the history of the Chinese Exclusion Act has essentially encouraged social progress to change America for the better in many ways. Um, you know, the, the Exclusion Act essentially forged an identity for the Chinese and provided them with the impetus to campaign against injustice they were like nah f this um and in the 60s many chinese actually joined the civil rights movement which is very overlooked i think it's a fascinating part of our history because the chinese are so often stereotyped as docile and and conservative and you know like sitting politics out right but no there are fascinating pictures um of people protesting um there's a picture of, like, a police guy, like, beating a Chinese person with a baton, but he's, like, throwing hands, right? He's, like, not going down without a fight. There's a picture of a little Chinese girl holding a, a protest poster that says, power to the people, black power to black people, yellow power to yellow people. And then there were more protests in 1983 over the death of Vincent Chin, uh, you know, a Chinese man who was unlawfully murdered. Um, it's great to see. It's great to see. And then it was only in 2012, think about that, 2012, so many, so many years after the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act that Congress finally formally apologized for it. Um, it, it was, the apology was made by a Chinese congresswoman, Representative Judy Chu, um, in which they, the House basically said that they regret the passage of legislation that adversely affected people of Chinese origin in the United States because of their ethnicity. Which is encouraging, I guess, but also a little sad in that, you know, you had to wait until 2012, but, I mean, okay. Um, so, you know, despite these major steps forward, America obviously still faces very uh, controversial issues regarding immigration, um, 
it serves as a story to learn from as America continues to grow and change. You know, we see the the, the Muslim ban, um, you know, Trump trying to ban immigrants from Mexico. And I'm not here to impose political values upon you, but I, I hope you do see where these immigration bans come from, you know, the history of immigration in the United States and, you know, anti-immigrant sentiments. Um, <clears throat> there's this beautiful memorial plaque in Angel Island where the, the immigrants were once detained, and it, it says, in honor of our courageous grandparents, their dreams become our reality. And I think that that really captures the sentiments of maybe like second or third gen immigrants like us today. You know, we, we want to to make the most of being in this country. We want to make our immigrant parents proud. I really hope you learned a lot about the sacrifices um you know our ancestors made in coming over here. It it absolutely hasn't been easy the history of our people in this country. And I I also want to talk about the implications of what that history means for us, you know. A lot of Chinese they say, "Oh, well like we we fought discrimination. We fought our way up." Um like we overcome we overcame all this prejudice with our own hard work um to achieve success in this country which is true but in doing so it fuels into like this whole model minority stereotype right which is now a big problem that we face the the conception that all Asians are like universally successful it neglects the fact that many immigrants came here as refugees um or like political asylees and in in um, sort of enforcing this narrative of, you know, Asians being, like, the winning minority, like, the champions of meritocracy, right? It, it, it's also sort of contingent on the idea that, you know, black people are, like, the failing minority. Um, it, it puts Asians in this really weird, complicated gray spot um, in the black-white dichotomy, and it creates a lot of tension between, like, different communities of color, like Asians and blacks, um, sort of seen as competi- in like competition with each other for insider status or like um you know competing for success in America like a win for one is seen as the loss for the other we see this in like affirmative action arguments obviously right there's clear anti-black sentiment in the Chinese community and the Asian community and yet also like recently with all these COVID attacks a lot of them were perpetuated by black people so there's this there's this like sad <laughs> sad tension between these communities um and I, I think there's some misunderstanding there a lot of it spirals from the history of chinese immigrants in this country and the idea that we were sort of like built upon like hard work right actually the, the history of chinese in this country and the idea the narrative of them you know building themselves up through solely hard work and grit right is a narrative perpetuated by a lot of white people to to silence the claims of injustice by other communities of color, like you know blacks and Hispanics. Um, the 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 concept of Chinese success despite discrimination is used to silence their claims and to perpetuate this idea of meritocracy. You come to America, you work hard, and you can pursue you can you can pursue the American dream like anyone else. But that's not necessarily true because it neglects the role of racial barriers and like systematic problems um, that hinder success. America is not 100% a meritocracy, but the history of the Chinese in this country um, is often used as, you know, quote-unquote evidence of that, um, which is sad how our history has become twisted to silence other communities of color. Um, I, I wish that 
these two groups could come to, you know, a better understanding because minorities need to support each other. And I, I think a lot of this is also rooted in the idea or concept of white erasure from the narrative, right? Like no one questions white success, but like when the Chinese do it, it's like suddenly they're an economic threat. They're an academic threat, you know, in the case of college admissions and affirmative action, right? Um, and so, yeah, that's just some some stuff for you to think about. Um, I really hope you learned something today about the sacrifices of Asians in this country, um, what that means for us today. Um, it's really a devastating but fascinating, fascinating history. Um, and I, I hope something about this resonates with you um, in, in forming your understanding of your identity in this country. So thanks for coming along. It's been fun. My voice is hella dry. I need to go drink some boba. Um, but yeah, thank you very much. Uh, we'll see you next time. I'll probably hit you up with another history lesson soon. So hope you enjoyed it. Bye.